welcome to Conversations with Ben Dixon. Thank you for tuning in today. We have a special episode for you with a special guest. But before we get into that, let me just remind you that you can always upload or download these videos and audios. For audio, you can go to Apple, you can go to Spotify. If you want the video, you can go to YouTube, type in Ignite Global Ministries, or you can just go to my Facebook page, Benjamin Dixon. And remember, when you're on YouTube, click the bell for notifications. We want you to stay updated because we are dropping a new episode for this podcast every Monday. So thank you for coming on the journey. This is episode five today, and we're going to be talking about politicizing and polarizing and patronizing. I know that's just like three Ps, and it really is just an umbrella for all of the things that we want to talk about. And today with me is a special guest, a very good friend of mine, Pastor Russell Johnson from the Pursuit Northwest. What's up, Russell? Yes, sir. It's glad to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. Yep. And we've known each other for... A minute. Longer than a minute. That actually is not a, a true statement. Not technically a minute, yeah. but... About 10 years? Yes, sir. 10 years. Yeah. So uh, Pastor Russell is one of my favorite preachers in the whole world, and I believe not only are you going to like him, but you're going to love him. And he'll be speaking at our church soon. Um, it hasn't worked out yet, but I'm looking forward to having him minister at all of our services at Northwest Church. So for those of you that are part of our church, you'll be looking forward to seeing him. You can always look him up at the Pursuit Northwest. Uh, just type that into Google, and you'll find out more about him. But anyways, glad you could join us yeah. today. And really what we're going to do is I'm just going to talk about a lot of things that are on my heart. We don't know where this is going to go. We want to talk about politics and the church. I want to talk about government, maybe government overreach some censorship, really just an umbrella episode to talk about um, all things conspiratorial. Anyways, um, but Russell has been in politics. You've been in politics. You've been a pastor. You're now getting your doctorate. Uh, what are you up to these days? Yeah, d doing a little bit of everything. I spent about um, 10 years doing government work, uh, worked for a few different nonprofits, and then ended up as a lobbyist uh, for the state legislature and then ended up as a legislative aide in a representative's office for a number of years, did some campaign work and um, did that for about a decade and then out of that went into full-time ministry. And so gives me a little bit of a unique perspective and, and then here we are today. Uh, I, I planted a church about six years ago. Uh, in the city of Snohomish, and um, as you mentioned, working on a PhD through Northwest University as well, and, and working on some of those things. And so, yeah, just having fun, trying to survive this last kind of crazy 16 months, and um, at the same time, uh, keep moving forward. So, yeah, totally. Well, Russell and I have been talking about uh, the crazy season that we've been in, obviously. Uh, with the virus, COVID-19, uh, racial tension, uh, political tensions and uh, polarization, and all of the difficulties that have come with the change of administrations and really just opinions and viewpoints from right. every which angle you can possibly imagine. And this is in the church. So um, one of the things that I think has been surprising for me, as we've been talking about this, is the polarizing that's been going on in the church. And it's right. not just over politics, but potentially the last 16 months has sort of cropped up the reality that not only people in the church don't agree, but there's a lot of extremism. Sure. I think that's the thing that's kind of alarmed me is that... Sure. 
I didn't realize that there was as much extremism, whether it's right or left or maybe even biblically when it comes to like prophecies and who you listen to and right. who you allow to influence you and QAnon and all of this stuff. Again, right and left, there's so much extremism. Right. Um, it's been shocking to me over the last 16 months. And Russ, Russell, Pastor Russell and I have talked about that. What has been one of the things that sort of like, maybe not shocked you, you probably saw it coming to a degree, but what's one of the things that over the last 12 to 16 months that you've seen kind of in the church that's come up that we've had to deal with that wasn't true of the last season, like an extremist type of type of thing that we've had to walk through? Yeah, I think over the last season, pastors have uh, been expected to be everything from epidemiologists to <laughs> political commentators to, you know, uh, theological geniuses to you name it, you know, the, the skill set required to pastor in our world today just keeps growing exponentially, it feels like, with every season. But, you know, something that um, I think is important to note is that it seems like over the last number of months with the shutdown, it has magnified some of the extremism that has always been there. Mm -hmm. And when you take people out of community and you put them in echo chambers of isolation for a year and a half, and essentially the only voice they hear is their own, mm -hmm. uh, you know, community provides this great insulator to help protect you from believing everything you think. Mm -hmm. And like maybe one of the most dangerous things that people do in our world today is believe everything they think. Mm -hmm. Not everything yeah. you think is true. Uh, and that's why Scripture speaks to the idea of taking captive every thought or idea that exalts itself over God. You know, the idea that not everything that you conceptualize in your own mind is actually true. And community is this great kind of buffer. It's this great, um, the, you know, uh, construct that helps people filter through some of the things that may, may, may not be true or worthy to really put a lot of time, energy, or effort into. And so... Over the last number of months, with the church being shut down and a lot of other social institutions being shut down, you've left people to just be on their phones all day Googling the craziest yeah. things. And so you've had, I think, this rise in the communication of extreme ideas. And I think something we've talked about before is that extremism on the right and on the left essentially ends up meeting in the middle. Extreme positions uh, uh, always end up sharing actually a lot of similarity because it's that spirit. It's a spirit of extremism. And, um, you know, my concern is, is seeing people who essentially have been more discipled by the news than they have the Word of God developing these really extremist positions. And then for me, some of the things that have surprised me is people almost hold you hostage to these extreme positions. Mm -hmm. Unless you will affirm my extremism, I can't go to church here. Right. And it's like, well, maybe this isn't the right church for you in the first place because it's apparent that you're not even being discipled in a Christological fashion. But, you know, we've experienced that, and, and I think I pastor a fairly conservative church. But we've got people on both sides of the aisle, but we've had to deal with both positions, people who want me to be very vocally pro-right, and then other people who want me to be vocally pro-left, and then trying to manage the tension. You know, my goal is not to be in the center, but instead to try to rise above the discourse and the dialogue. 
and present kind of a third way, a third option. Mm -hmm. And the idea that the kingdom of God is going to incorporate certain principles that you find on both ends of the political spectrum. I think the kingdom of God is probably more conservative than the most conservative people we have. And I think it's more progressive to some degree than some of the most progressive people we have. And God is above the political binary. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in our world today, people are so given to, you know, political or socio-emotional tribalism that it's very hard for them to appreciate nuance. It's very hard for people to appreciate the ethic uh, of the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, And in doing so, uh, I think we've seen people being given over to what I would call a spirit of extremism, a spirit of the age, spirit of outrage. And what does extremism produce? I mean, I've got some thoughts that I've watched um, extremism. Like one of the things for me, and tell me what you think about this, is that when a person gets locked into an extreme position, which the last year has sort of given birth to because right. of isolation, because right. of a lack of community and things being taken from us. And so in that vacuum of community and other things being taken from us, or people even maybe not knowing whether or not they, if church is open, which ours ours are both open and have right. been almost the entire time, well, really the entire time, except for maybe a month or two. Mm-hmm. But in the vacuum of all of that, it has given birth to these extreme things, which in some cases were there, but have been enhanced and sure. are on steroids. But I've noticed that um, the lack of being willing to actually have a conversation right. has been one of the things that extremism has produced. In other words, like people just don't want to talk anymore. I don't. I want to label. I don't want to talk to you. If right. you make this comment or you don't make that comment, it literally means that you're in this camp and you don't have nothing. You don't have anything to say to me anymore as a result of that. So it ex- an extreme position, one of the ways I identify it in people, or let's just say Christian people, is I'm not willing to sit down, have a conversation, hear ideas, ask you a question. And I'm not even talking about trying to find middle ground with people. I'm just saying like, before we judge each other, right? I mean, here's a scriptural principle, judge not lest you be judged, right? right? In the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't judge ideas. That doesn't mean we don't discern truth. Jesus wasn't saying that you can just slap this scripture on anybody that says something that you don't feel the same way about. He was saying, don't label people. Mm-hmm. Don't put this on them. Like, it, 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 we don't have the right to be definitive and conclusive on somebody else's thoughts, person, or whatever. Now, sin, we get to discern what you did was sin. Sure. Like, if you lied, you lied. But it doesn't mean that I get the right to call you a liar. I get to sit down and talk with you. Sure. And so, like, a person might have ideas or they might have a disagreement with me, but doesn't mean that everything that I think now is in a category with group thinking and um, the ideologies of today. And like you said, secular discipleship has been so strong that it has categorized people and brought them into these different sects. And that's where we sort of judge people. So one of the things I've noticed that has given birth out of extremism is like people are not willing to talk. Sure. You know, um, and it shocks me. In fact, I think it's just such an unchristian way to not have a conversation. Why are we not willing to have a conversation? What what else have you seen that like extremism has produced in the church that you feel like is unhealthy? Yeah, I mean, I think identity politics has weaponized um, tribalism in uh, our our world today, and so. You've got folks who are entering into the conversation with already predetermined conclusions, and uh, they're just seeking to attach some sort of social label to you based upon a snapshot of your life. And so I think the analogy that I use a lot of times is like somebody taking a Polaroid, Polaroid picture 
and you have a lot of this drive-by critiquing or drive-by labeling by people who have no idea who you are. They have no idea about your history, your heritage, your outlook, your output, your views, your ideas, your family system, nothing. But they'll take something that you said out of context. They'll take a snapshot of a sermon. They'll take a snapshot of a Facebook post. And then they will use that uh, essentially as um, the uh, label by which they can attach everything from that from from that pejorative group identity they can label you with. And mm. so you're a racist or a sexist or a misogynist or a fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is, whatever the ism of that day is, whatever the outrage of that day is, they'll find a way to attach it to your identity based on a snapshot from your life. And um, in a lot of ways, social media has become like a reverse confessional where we demand other people repent for their sins. We demand other truth. people pay penance for their, um, you know, it's this kind of cancel culture. It's where we are, we are coming in to demand that people be accountable for, for other people's sins or other people's actions. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm trying to be aware of, uh, I think there are things we ought to cancel. <laughs> I think there are things that we do bind, and there's things that we do loose. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I think there's some scriptural principle for that. But you know, we live in a world today where people are um, canceled based off of a Polaroid snapshot of one moment in their life. And what's so interesting is that entire worldview, that entire political system is so devoid of grace and mercy, it only makes the gospel initiative more attractive than it's ever been, because only a God as good as the one revealed through Scripture offers grace and mercy for indiscretions and sin and says things like, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. And so I think some of the woke... you know, attitudes coming out of some of the folks on on the more progressive side of things. They think of themselves as so, you know, progressive or so enlightened, but it's an entire worldview and system that's devoid of grace. And so, and not that I do this perfectly, I certainly don't, but but I try to approach conversations that I think are worth having with a modicum of charitability. Like, I'm going to think of you in a charitable fashion. I'm not going to presuppose if your church requires masks that you're a sellout to the government. I'm not going to presuppose that if you say Black Lives Matter that you all of a sudden hold all of these other political positions that are antithetical to what I believe. I'm not going to walk in with assumptions because I'm doing life and I have relationship. And one of the things that the shutdown has hurt most, I think, is what we have found out is that media and the internet is a poor substitute for human connection. It's a supplement, but it's a poor substitute. And so we've had all these people who have used a supplemental avenue as a substitutionary product for the last 16, 18 months. And in doing so, I think it's actually changed the way that we interact with people. I think it's actually damaged the social fabric of our society. And I think the impacts of the shutdown are not done being felt. I think they're going to be studied and felt and experienced and talked about and written about in academia for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to find out is that this was actually more damaging to people's mental health, to people's social health, to people's spiritual health than we have previously realized. And so... You know, I'm doing my best to try to manage conversations, and I, I'll be the first to admit I haven't done it perfectly, and I've got a lot of room to yeah, grow myself. Yeah. But um, 
I'm trying to I'm trying to keep people focused on Christ and attached to the ethic of the kingdom. And but we live in a time of of, of perpetual outrage. In fact, we have outrage fatigue. Mm-hmm. It's like you got to turn on the news in the morning to figure out what you're supposed to be outraged about that day. And we live in a world that has said unless you as a pastor Mm-hmm. Uh, or as a religious person, operate as an omniscient commentator on all of life's circumstances, mm-hmm. then you really don't care about fill-in-the-blank struggle. Right. Unless you perform as an all-seeing, all-knowing commentator on everything that's happening in the world around us. And I go, actually, God didn't create us with that capacity. Right. Amen. That's His capacity. <laughs> you know, I've got every... Same as you. Every Monday, you wake up with another email of going, well, when is the church going to talk about this? And you're like, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm talking to people about what it means to give your life to Jesus, be developed, be discipled, be redeemed, be sanctified. But uh, unless I hit the pause button to stop to give commentary to everything that the news cycle is outraged about, then all of a sudden I am a participant in violence through my silence. And it's just, we just, we just live in the dumbest time that there's ever been. Well, it's rough. I mean, you brought up uh, you brought up a lot of different issues when it comes to, I think, not only extremism, but here we are talking about how society has just super infiltrated. The ideology of our world today has super infiltrated the Christian's heart and really rearranged it in such yes. a way where we're not even sure what how we're supposed to position ourselves. Yes. When we really already know, we already know that we're advocates of the gospel of Jesus, we're disciples who make disciples, we're supposed to advocate the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean that we aren't relevant to the culture that we live in, but we're actually able to do it in a countercultural way that isn't about putting our middle finger up per se, but it's about advocating a better way, something that's more beautiful. And there are so many that I think one of the things that we've discovered is that we've realized that... um, Secular humanism, materialism, uh, and other ideologies have been largely the disciple of, uh, discipler yes. over the yes. last ten years, yes. and that people I'm I'm waking up probably to the strength of how serious it is. I think if 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 I'm woke, I'm woke in the fact that I realize that the ideologies of our day in the last ten years have become the disciple makers yes. of so many, and now I'm I'm really I understand it more than I did. I think I knew it. But I don't think I knew it to the degree that I needed to. And I right. also think that the last 16 months expedited that process. Yes. Like if it was an if it was an elevator, it started moving three times as fast. Yes. You know, so it wasn't like we went from floor one to floor three. People went to floor thirty. And now we're trying to figure out that's why we're being told we've got to be political commentators. We have to understand every ideology out there. And they're moving so fast, they're morphing. I mean uh, 20 years ago, we would talk about postmodernism. Right. Postmodernism died, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s and found a way to live in uh, different terminology, like, right. for example, critical theory, yes. critical race theory. But now we use the term social justice rather than biblical justice. And that's one of the craziest things. Like, I don't think I've ever been tested on whether or not I care about or I preach about justice until the last five years. In other words, we can have a food pantry that gives away $400,000 worth of food every year. We can help um, with Royal Family Kids Camp track. We can help the foster care system. We can have parents that adopt. We can preach the gospel to prevent marriages eroding and children going into the foster care system. We're not only are we rescuing, but we're also preventative. And people have devalued that as any sense of justice whatsoever. 
And uh, all of the things that we've been doing for a long time and Christians being involved in cleanup and disaster relief and all the things that we do and giving and serving and loving and being there right. for our community and helping our young people not get into drugs, which leads to all kinds of craziness, which leads to all kinds of stuff that we address as a society. We're not relevant or we're not... Be- right. And it really isn't about whether or not we're doing justice, is whether or not we're saying the thing that you want us to say. Yes. And so I've never been tested more than I am now as to whether or not I care about justice from people who we call social justice warriors. Right. I know here we are with labels again, but but with people that are saying like the church is irrelevant, the church doesn't care about justice. So now what I've had to do is I've had to literally reinterpret what we've been doing for years right. into a language that fits what's being what yes. what's coming against us to test whether or not we actually care about these things. Right. And so I'm trying to say, hey, welcome to the party. I'm glad you guys care. Would you like right. to give some of your money and your time to serve, to prevent, to rescue, to be a part of right. this? We've been in the trenches, and it's. It's been wild to see because like, uh, and it amps me up, Pastor Russell, it amps me up, you know, but the reality is, is like, it kind of like when it first started hitting me, I didn't see it the way I do now. And now I'm realizing, oh, there's actually a narrative, an extreme narrative in the world today to cast a shadow on the church's job and what they have been doing to make them look like they're the problem rather than they've been the bringers of solution. Right. I mean, just one thing alone. I just want to throw this out there. Anybody that's watching me, and even if you're not Christian, our church, just our church, and I'm not even speaking for his church, our church alone is gives away the equivalent of $8,500 worth of food every single Wednesday. It takes 40 volunteers. We've been doing this over 20 years. Tell me that's not justice when you're reaching out to a community that needs food, that needs milk, that needs bread, that needs tortillas, that needs vegetables. Tell me that's not an aspect of justice for those that maybe don't have, for those that we know that are are in a place where they don't have, and we're helping people in the world. We're doing that, and we're not we're not trying to let everybody know about it, but we've been doing it. But then when you get the tests, like, mm-hmm. does the church even care? Is the church even relevant? Um, I mean, my question is, is I mean, where do we see, like, the world or even people that have a lot of cri- criticism or critiques, where do we see so many people doing that? I mean, yeah, our tax dollars are paying for some of our multi-service centers and, you know, God bless all that. But I'm just saying, like, I've never been challenged like I am today. It's, well, it's kind of crazy. And the religious organizations contribute a trillion dollars to the U.S. economy every year just in the United States through a lot of the things that you've mentioned, through harm reduction, through counseling, through development, through training, through youth programs. A trillion dollars by Immigration, one integration, uh, sure. primarily I mean, run by Christian organizations, just so right. you know. Adoption Even the organizations, yeah. all of these things. And so, uh, but it's, we, we live, but, you know, we live in a Babylonian time where it, it doesn't matter how much of the things that you listed you participate in, unless you bow when the music is played. Mm-hmm. You 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 are you are seen as a perpetrator of everything yeah, that's absolutely. wrong, yeah. and so you know I, I had some of those same conversations, and we don't we're the same way. I don't publicly announce every act of charity or justice that we get in, involved in, but we've paid off lunch debt for kids at public schools. Yeah, we we that, yeah. do a lot of work in places like West Africa. We we help we help out people and have been consistently. Um, ever since I've been in full-time ministry, and especially over the last six years yeah. as we've planted a church. But all of a sudden, we get into this kind of hyper-sensationalized media moment, and then you have people who are not involved 
mm-hmm. who are not a part of the fight, who haven't been there, who are not faithful in these areas, who come out of the woodworks to say, and what is the church doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. Where have you been? Stop praying and start acting. And then it's like you have to now tell people, we have been. Right. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? But it, it's, pe- it's people who's— <laughs> What are you talking about? You know, we've got these like two— um, We've got these two corresponding realities that, that people have been underdeveloped in, and we're seeing it now in the way that people communicate. We have fractured epistemology that has led to incomplete anthropology. And so people's source of knowledge, the mm. way that they relate to God, how they understand the spiritual, uh, and, and then how that gets related to the common person around them. And I think this goes back to that core question of, of discipleship and, 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 and how people are being developed in our world today uh, and in our communities. Um, pe- people have been overly informed by sociological constructs, by political ideas, and by cultural movements. They have been underinformed by the gospel of the kingdom. And so it's like the Pavlov's dog whistle every or, 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 or bell. Every time the bell rings, the dog begins to salivate because he knows he's going to get a treat. The, the media and culture is playing the church like I have never seen before mm-hmm. in my lifetime because that is who has discipled the people who sit in our seats. I agree. And they're getting in I there agree. and they're ringing the bell. And they're saying, unless you post our hashtag, you don't care about racism. Right. Unless you post what we're posting, unless you give to what we're giving to. And, and, and I'm coming back as a pastor saying the most, Im- the most important way that you can be anti-racist is by being pro-righteousness. Right. The most important way that you can be pro-social justice is by being pro-gospel of the kingdom. Right. This is what we have given our lives to. Mm-hmm. And we've got people who have been discipled by Babylon mm-hmm. who are now acting as some sort of academic intellectual commentator on the nature of the church. And I just, um, I don't have time for it. Well, we don't even have time to explain what all that even means, because one of the things that comes up into my mind is obviously this season of COVID-19. So so let's just go there, because we already are there. Right. Um, Obviously, my view is, uh, and tell me what you think, but my view is that COVID-19 is a virus, or it's it, obviously it's a, it's a disease that comes right. from a coronavirus. And so without being an epidemiologist, without being um, a, a medical doctor, a professional, an expert in this area, I've talked to many and all that doesn't make me one. But my point is, is that, yes, it's a, it's a very real thing. There's a virus. It's contagious. It's very contagious. I actually had it. Yeah. By the way, I don't have it anymore. I don't know. You gotta get checked. <laughs> but I do, by the way, believe in natural immunity, so I have it somewhere built up in my system. Sure. So I'm a pretty safe person, which, again, we don't believe in natural immunity, it seems like, anymore. And I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but it's kind of strange, you know, of sure. what we do and don't believe as a result of what we've always known when it comes to diseases and sicknesses and whatnot. But I had it, and, and uh, you know, it is deadly for some that are medically vulnerable, for those that are over a certain age, and I, and I respect that. And all of the death and difficulties and the pain and all of that that anybody has gone through, I totally have compassion for that, honestly. Sure. I, I and, and I'm not even saying this for optics. I'm not saying this to just say it. I, I really am. I mean, I care about... Uh, people who um, not only have suffered uh, from this, but also um, have have had to kind of stay away and have had to navigate life differently because they are medically vulnerable and so on. And so I respect that. But at the same time, um, 
uh, in my compassion, I've also had to kind of have a sense of of reality for for others that are right. in that space. Right. And so I've had to navigate this what I would call attention, right? Sure. And and I would say that although I'm not in the camp, and I, I know you're not, and I won't speak for you and everything, but we're not I'm, we're not in the camp of this is a hoax, um, and this isn't real, and mm. all that. The word I'm trying to use is reasonable, but I've used, I've watched the media and I've watched the government, and I it, it's been this really difficult thing to even discuss. But I've watched them take an issue like this and politicize it and polarize us right. and weaponize it. Um, and then I'm you almost feel like if you believe anything close to that, you're conspiratorial, um, you're full on QAnon, which by the way, completely deny QAnon nonsense. Don't even know a person who believes right. in any of that stuff. I personally don't, so I've never condemned QAnon because I've never even met a QAnon believer. Right. You know, but I'm told once again what you said, I'm told that I need to like denounce it, renounce it, every Sunday. deny it yeah, every Sunday yeah. because it's this thing out there of which I've never I mean, I know that there are people right. out there that are crazy and believe this stuff, but I have never met a person that buys into QAnon. Right. I've never had anybody give me an article to believe or preach or believe any of this. So if you ever wonder why Pastor Ben hasn't stood up and stood against QAnon, it's because I don't even know who I would be talking to. Right. Like, I'm not the most popular pastor on the internet. I know you might think that, though. I do think that. But I, yeah. I know, but I'm not, you know? And so, like, I just, I have, I, ha, I felt a personal responsibility to pastor my congregation and my family. That is what I stand before God for. Yes. You know, and so I, I don't let the narrative, the social media pressure tell me what I have to do and not do. But COVID-19 has been something that's very strange because on one hand, I'm trying to be compassionate, but on the other hand, I'm like, well, what's really reasonable? Is it reasonable um, to shut down churches? Right. For free people who have made a decision that they're going to do other things, but we're just saying that we can't uh, do church or, you know, local businesses have been shut down. And so I've been not vocal about it, but I do. I'm just being honest. I have disagreements with the way the government has handled this. Right. I, I, I make no bones about that. I don't think that this should have happened the way that it did. I think that it is an utter failure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yes, that's easy for me to say because I'm not a governor and I don't have that position, but... I just think that the greater harm that has come, which you said, the isolation, the fear, I think we have a real issue of reintegration that's going to happen. Yes. I think reintegration 100%. is going to take us years. 100%. Um, I think people have come up with different ways of doing life that are just as unsafe as what they're projecting on coming to a church service. It's, yes. absolute, it's absolutely happening right now. Yes. Like there are people, and if you're, if you're in this camp, I'm not shaming you. I'm just saying, just let's think about this for a minute and be reasonable. And I hope that I can kind of tick away at some of that. But if, if we're willing to get together in a home with 25 people or 20 people without masks, but we're not willing to go to a church service... And, and I mean, if you feel, if we feel uncomfortable, we can wear a mask, right. right? I mean, nobody can tell us to or not to, we can wear one. And so we're not willing to go to like a, a gathering because the narrative in the media is that public gatherings kill people. Yeah, I mean, sure. that really is like when, yeah. I don't know if you remember that yeah. um, there was this like triangle and on the top of the triangle was like public gatherings, yes. like movie theaters and churches. Like we were literally labeled without any data showing. And I remember the data, and I know this is, I'm getting passionate about this because I really believe damage has been done. I'm not yes. even just trying to protect um, my job, my ministry, and my paycheck. I'm not trying to protect anything. I'm just speaking reality. Yes. The, the, the 
actual event that was used to prove that public gatherings kill people was this event up in Bellingham, which happened in March. And these people were unmasked. It wasn't a church, but it was in an old church that did not have a healthy HVAC system. They were singing together, grouped together right. for hours. They Choir were eating practice. together. Yeah. And no matter what we say about that event, they were eating together. They were singing together for hours in a not well-ventilated area. And several of those people, you know, this is terrible, got COVID and a few of two of them died. And that one event was being used in the beginning of the pandemic right. to say that all of these church gatherings are killing people. We've been open since June. We've done at least four gatherings a week, four since June. I mean, this is like, we're coming up on a year right? and we had no spread. In fact, the only spread that we had at the church was where I got sick, you know? Right. And so I took one for the team, everybody, you know, pray for your pastor. Amen. But, uh, but I would willingly, you know, I was willing to take some of those risks and I even wore a mask except for some of these meetings, you know? So whether I do or don't is not an issue, but, um, I just have the pressure of the media, mm -hmm. the pressure of the narrative, the pressure of people spinning these stories out of control. And yes, there's a reality to a virus, but it's almost like so extreme. It's like if if you even gather, you're being irresponsible. But then, and then when you gather, um, it's almost like the pressure is so strong that you almost don't want to gather because it's like I've got six pages of requirements to facilitate a gathering. Yeah, I mean it's incoherent. It's it's nonsense. And um, you know, during the height of the virus, you had uh, the government essentially picking winners and losers. Right. If we deem you essential, you can be open. If we deem your activity not just essential, but if we deem your activity of moral good, right. we will condone it. Right. So, for example, during the height of the pandemic, when there was kind of really no light at the end of the tunnel, was the same time that there was massive protests in the streets. Right. Yep. And our media would not even get to the microphone to even bring up the concern right. that these could be quote unquote super spreader events. Actually protected them from saying Actually they were. Actually protected Said these them. are not. You know, these they were going not. out of their way to say there isn't any spread there happening. There isn't any yeah. spread. And even if there is, it's such an important cultural moment that we're going to let it slide. But if you pastor a country church with 40 people and you gather, you hate your neighbor, you uh, are killing grandma. I mean, and, and once I started to see, for me, my breaking point was when I started to really see the dissonance between these two opinions. It wasn't a flat uh, perspective of saying, hey, look, we got a virus. We're asking everybody to pull together. Right. And these are the right. rules. It was the government interjecting itself, by the way, into constant constitutionally protected activity. I believe in the right to protest. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, you know, we're part of the Protestant movement uh, yeah, that true. comes from the word protest. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm glad we live in a country that constitutionally protects the right of people to protest. I have no problem with people protesting, even if I don't always agree with their outcomes. We also live in a country that constitutionally protects the right of free people to gather and worship without government intervention or oversight. That's because of the, the free exercise clause and the establishment clause. The government shall not infringe on the right of people to gather and worship. And so like you, when, when all of this stuff hit the fan and people were just trying to figure it out, you know, I think a year ago, March, mm -hmm. we shut down as well, just, just trying to figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. 
but after a few weeks of being shut down with our team, we just decided we're going to open back up. We're also going to offer services online. But for people who want to gather in person, they should be able to gather without the fear of government reprisal. And as you know, a couple of weeks ago, we released a video statement because our Department of Health from our county has actually sent us to the Attorney General's office now, at least on two different occasions, recommending us for prosecution for holding church. Mm -hmm. We live in an upside down world. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like I appreciate the constitutional protections, which we have, which are clear, which hold up in court every day of the Mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. But even more important than our constitutional protection for me is the biblical mandate Mm -hmm. for believers to gather and to worship. Mm -hmm. Now, how you do that with six feet and masks and all those sorts of things, to me, that's what every pastor has to figure out. And, you know, I don't really care how people figure that out. That's up to them. But for us, we really sense like gathering to worship wasn't like a good idea if we could get around it. Mm -hmm. I actually think church, the gathering of God's people to me is the most important human activity on this side of heaven. Mm -hmm. I just, that's just my conviction. It's my ecclesiology. Yeah, it's my conviction too. And so uh, for me, um, when I started to see the government picking winners and losers and saying, if we agree with the political nature of what you're doing, we will give you a pass. But if we don't agree with the political nature, if you're a church, especially if you're a conservative church or you want to hold a worship event, uh, we are going to castigate you. We are going to um, we are we are going to mock you. We are going to report you. We are going to fine you. I just thought to myself, what type of world are we living in? And so we just made a decision that we're we're going to reopen. But um, mm. you know, th- what started off as caution has turned into what I believe to be totalitarian control. And I don't see these measures or mandates lifting until free people decide to just act as if they are free people. And so uh, I'm not recommending that, that people intentionally try to violate, violate government orders. Everybody has to manage their own conscience. But, you know, we, we – I think sometimes people think about our nation the same way that they thought about it 40 or 50 years ago. And right. it's not the same world and it's not the same country. And it doesn't have the same philosophy that governed us. Uh, and in some ways, that might be good. We've developed and changed and grown. But in other, day, in other ways, we have regressed, mm-hmm. I think, back into a large nanny state government overbearing uh, type way that um, I think has really come to a head in light of the pandemic. And let's be honest, okay, because, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think that what we're what we've seen, and this has been an evolution of my thinking. I, I honestly think I didn't I didn't walk in two years ago. I don't think I walked in to our world thinking the way I do now. Sure, and and there certainly is a lot of room for growth in my thinking. But I I agree, and I think that when COVID nineteen happened for me, um, we shut down for I think two months. So right. we shut down for half of March. Um, April, and then in May, we started to open up our prayer services outside. Sure. So my decision that I made was like, okay, I didn't know what this was. So we're talking to medical professionals, and we're being recommended all kinds of stuff. And so in the nature of being a pastor and wanting to care for the people that God has trusted to me, um, that's what I decided to do, right? And I was like, okay, this is what's best to prefer others, um, to love my congregation, and to provide a path. So when they said, the government was like, hey, you can meet outside... Um, I was in my mind really boxing, like, is this, okay, you can do this now. Um, Why couldn't we meet outside anyways? Why are we trying to control the five people 
uh, rule in people's homes. I mean, people, everybody I know, Christian or non-Christian, they're not really. There are people that are adhering to it, but there's so many that weren't adhering to right. it. You know, and all the meanwhile, we're watching all this stuff happen now. I've already stated that I've disagreed with the way that this was handled. It's easy to say, but I stand by that. I firmly uh, disagree, and I think the world has shown, and we will be studying for years, how this uh, was handled and how it was used. I think for me as a pastor, what was hard is when we started opening back up, and in June we opened up inside um, Saturdays and Wednesdays, and then our church decided, I had them kind of vote. Because right. I, I was only here seven months before the pandemic, so sure. it was like I didn't have the equity in the relationship with our congregation. Right. But I said, hey, let's vote. Do we want to be outside? And everybody wanted to stay outside. So we stayed outside on Sunday. We were inside Saturday and Wednesday, and we're still getting to know each other at that point as a church. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had six pages worth of documents, and what we did is we sat down and we looked at these these requirements, these restrictions, and half of them just actually were unhealthy to follow. I mean, right. they just they were arbitrary rules that right. were made across the board to it kind of feel no like sense. we're doing something. Right. Yeah. And it was definitely made by people that don't go to church. Of course. Uh, or have never stepped foot at Northwest in our building. Um, and so anyways, we kind of had to figure that out and decide what was best for our people. Right. And we did a meeting where we were like, what is healthy? What is healthy? What is healthy? And then at the end of the day, I kind of started monitoring like who comes to mm-hmm. the church and are these people that are, um, you know, uh, like what state of mind are they in? A lot of the people that wanted more restrictions at church were people that just didn't come anymore. And so I honor everybody that's at home, but the reality is, is that what I noticed was the people that came were people that wanted to gather, needed to gather. And then we had a lot of people who were like prodigals that were coming home. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I know that some people in my world felt like, because I was asking people to wear masks, I didn't require it. I I wasn't like mandating it. We weren't at the door. There was a period of time where we did ask people in the beginning, and then we kind of let it go. Um, and I would say half or more of our church does wear masks, and I and 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 I wear a mask just because I'm trying to, you know, I'm around mm. people and I don't know where they're at, and I haven't known our church for a long time. Right. But the reality is, is that I just felt like we started making it about. Um, smaller things, and people were like, well, if the government's not handling this right, then we need to buck the government, which has never been my position. Mm -hmm. I disagree with how the government's handling this, but I can't dismantle the government, and I'm not building a militia. So my role is just to follow the kingdom of God. My role is to preach the gospel. My role is to make disciples, and I can do that... in the world and not of the world, and uh, but I do have disagreements like we're talking about with the government and the handling of the government, and I do think that behind the system are all kinds of demonic agendas and people that are not Christian clearly don't value the gospel and don't value what we're doing, and I understand that that, that was before COVID, but COVID is, a, in a sense, if people don't believe that COVID or any other thing isn't uh, isn't used, then they misunderstand spiritual warfare mm-hmm. altogether. So sometimes people will say, well, don't you believe this is, uh, this is being used? And I'll say, of course, I think actually anything is going to be used um, in the world that we live in. So that's not new to me, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to like not try to like uh, find a way, you know, in the world, right. which has been kind of my way. So I've noticed that extremism has been, Pastor Ben, one of the things that I've, I've in, uh, encountered is, Pastor Ben, you're not doing enough. And by enough, they mean I'm not bucking the government. Right. Like I'm not whole hog um, coming against all the government. And I think in a, you can actually create a spirit of lawlessness, and that's yes. the extremism I'm, I'm talking about. Right. Like what we're doing is we're free people talking about disagreements we have with the handling that the government has had. But I'm not. I'm used to this because we're in the world and not of the world. So this is not new. But we're also each of us in our leading of our churches is trying to find a way 
to be in the world and not of it, manage and pastor our our, uh, congregations and stick to the mandate that is found in Scripture. But I think when you start going beyond the mandate that's found in Scripture, where you become sort of an anti-establishment in the name of disagreement of the establishment, I think that a spirit of lawlessness can come. And so I've been trying to help people stay true to the gospel, stay true to discipleship, and not go too far because I don't want our children to pick up a lawless spirit Mm -hmm. where we're not paying our taxes and we're not doing the things that we need to do as a society. We can disagree with society, or we can disagree with the ideologies, government managing of COVID-19, all of that, and then get involved Mm -hmm. and vote and do those things. But do you think there's a, uh, on the other side, you know, this is where like, uh, obviously you can tell we're conservatives and free people talking openly, but don't you think there's a power, uh, we've talked about this, um, or there's a place where conservatives will just swing also yes. so far and it just becomes damaging. Let's kick our conservative brethren a little bit. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. You, I mean, you have more, uh, I think, especially around election day, you had more Christians talking about the second return of Trump than you did the second return of Christ. Oh my gosh. Oh my. And then you, on the other end... <laughs> that's, you know that's, you know that's going to come out of this, <laughs> this sound bite right there. And oh, then on man. the other end of the spectrum, you have Christians talking, quoting more from the CDC than they do from Scripture. That's right. And so we have these dual revivals of extremism on both ends of the political that's spectrum. Right. That's and so, right. I think for me as a pastor, it's important that I speak to both. I speak to the idea that um, actually, if you think if you've picked Trump out to be your savior, it's about the most miserable pick you could have ever made. That that was a bad that was a that was a bad thing to go 100 percent in on. So yeah. if you if you did that, I apologize for your misplaced hope. Uh, uh, and and people who you know are like that, or they just want to. Uh, the government's evil. Well, government's not evil. Uh, Paul said government's a wineskin. Yeah. Government's a wineskin that's ordained by God. Now, does that mean that every decision government makes is right. a decision ordained by God? No, certainly not. And I love how dime store Facebook theologians love to misapply the book of Romans. Uh, you know, uh, it's like a bunch of deconstructed backslidden millennials who haven't ever read the book of Romans, but found a blog that talks about Romans, right. and then they use it as a weaponizing verse to try to criticize pastors who are uh, going to open, even if the government doesn't tell them to open. You know, Paul writes half of his epistles mm-hmm. while in prison. Yeah, literally in prison. For yeah. disobeying the government. And so clearly what Paul is not saying in the book of Romans is that every decision that government makes becomes a a lawfully uh, abiding order that every Christian must compel uh, and must follow in order to truly follow Christ. That's certainly not what Paul is saying. But on the other side of things, he is saying government's a wineskin. Mm And this whole, we're going to march on the Capitol and we're going to overthrow the government. We're going to overturn things. First off, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's, it's just a real dumb activity to get involved in. And third, it, it represents the other end of the extremism. And so for me, I've really tried to, in order to maintain your prophetic witness, I feel like you have to speak to the side that you're most inclined to be on. Mm-hmm. And so for me, because I lean conservative, I want to speak to the temptation that conservatives face to be, well, just screw it. I'm just anti-government. They can't tell me what to do. Let it all go. Because the the spirit of the Antichrist is the spirit of lawlessness. That's right, yeah. And we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast how extremism exists on both ends of the spectrum. They often meet in the middle. So what have we seen with the lawlessness riots in the streets? It's the same spirit. 
-hmm. It's just on the other end of the spectrum. Exactly. And so for me as a pastor, to me, in order to retain, you know, ethic, I can't just say, well, oh, look at all those lawless protests on the street. I have to look to our side, too, and say, hey, look at our lawless anti-government stuff, too. And there is another way. Mm-hmm. And it's not the middle between those two positions. It's a higher position. Right. It's a come up higher. Uh, it's a follow the ethic of Christ and it's a you but and I you're not going to have a lot of friends if you do that, Russ. Uh, right. <laughs> well, and you and I even talked. It's about easier this. to go on one side. The isn't idea it? of like, <laughs> if there's anything that if there's anything that we have needed in the pastorate today, it's people who crucify their need to be liked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think we have a lot of people who got into pastoral ministry because it represented an interior pathology. Right. This represented a quick path to be affirmed and liked by other people. Right. And have a platform. And yeah, have exactly. a platform. That's right. Yeah. And I yeah, just I go be like, somebody. I don't want to be, I don't want to be disliked. I don't yeah. like being disliked. And I'm right. not trying to be intentionally abrasive to be disliked by other people. But I just think that some folks are in the wrong business. And I just go, go sell ice cream. Yeah. Go sell tacos. Do something that makes everybody happy. But in this world that yeah. you and I live in, yeah. we have to make real-life decisions in which we are going to really irritate people who are on the far right and probably some folks who are on the far left, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to manage the tension mm-hmm. and call people to a higher level. Yeah. No, so. I, and I think, the, I think, honestly, the pastors that are staying focused and true to that, however they're doing it, um, are the people that are going to... I believe make disciples that will affect the future. Like right. no matter how this craziness goes, right? No matter how far it goes or what the future has in store, I think that people who have sought to stay faithful to Jesus, whether they have ten people or they have a hundred people or a thousand people, I think those people are going to be um, the ones that are going to come out of this with their head screwed on right. and still doing what they always did. We're a little battered, we're a little bruised, right. you know what I'm saying? Uh, sometimes my church has seen me bleed a little bit. Sure. I've been honest. Like sometimes I've had a little, you know, I I've been hurt. I I actually didn't realize I've been. I could get hurt as much as I did this last year. Mm-hmm. Sure. I've been hurt by Christians that said I haven't done enough, right. and Christians that said um, I've done too much. Right. I haven't gone far enough against the government, mm-hmm. and then I haven't adhered to the government. Right. And uh, and so you know the reality is is that this issue is fluid. It's not about sitting down making policies and procedures and then holding to those. Our convictions that we're holding to are Scripture. Mm-hmm. Our convictions that we're holding to is we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to make disciples. We're going to reach our community. We're going to raise up the people of God in order to do the work of God. That's what that's my convictions have never changed. Right. One of the right. things I said to our church a while ago is I said, I have not changed in this pandemic. And that's true. And what I meant by that is my convictions have not changed. Yes. They're still the same. I'm still trying to do the same thing. Mask, no mask. Um, Restrictions, no restrictions. I'm still trying to do the same thing, no matter what the government is doing, no matter what people are saying. Right. That's true. But when it comes to the nature of how we respond to um, government restrictions and requirements and mandates and um, ideologies and policies, and uh, regardless of what the issue is, whether it's about race or LGBTQ or whatever, I've tried to stay true to my convictions, regardless of all of that stuff that I agree and disagree with. Right. The problem is, yeah. is that some 
sometimes people, because we feel like we disagree with what the government is doing, um, we have to constantly respond to that all the time, when in reality, we have to respond to the gospel. We have to respond to the Bible. And so I'm not going to respond to every single thing that the government does or doesn't do because it right. doesn't control my mo- mood. It doesn't right. dictate my attitude. It doesn't get me up in the morning, and it doesn't cause me to have peace when I shut my eyes at night. Right. What does is the gospel. What does is the Word of God. So I think sometimes... Um, I mean, one of the things I think you're good at is you're you're a great curator of content for uh, for what the culture is and isn't doing. You're better at that than me. Maybe it's that you're more well-read. And I love talking to Russell about this because um, at the end of the day, we walk through, we, we're talking through all this in this conversation, but we're landing in a place where it's got to be all about Jesus. And I think that right. anybody that knows you and knows me knows that, period. Um, and this issue, this 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 world that we're facing is fluid, right. and that's what I've had to tell people is like, however we've responded to this perfectly or imperfectly, it's fluid. E- every week we have something different we have to think through or pray through. Every month it's you know it's different, and uh, and so I think at the end of the day. Um, you know, you're trying to do the best you can and being faithful to God's Word. And I know that about you and uh, people that know me the same thing. And I know so many good godly pastors out there that have just struggled through um, this whole thing. Maybe we can... uh, What I'd love to do is just have you back and keep talking through all this, because I think we sort of scratched the surface. Um, Again, we're calling this politicizing, polarizing, and patronizing. (laughs) I don't know if you feel which one of those you feel uh, coming out of us here on this conversation, but I think uh, this is why uh, we definitely have more to talk about. But as we close our podcast, I was thinking that maybe we can um, just spend a few moments talking about, uh, or maybe speaking to any past or a leader that would watch this. I mean, I know some will and some won't, but um, in our own movement and denomination, in ours at least, we had about 30 pastoral, senior pastor uh, transitions. We normally have six in a year. We had 30. Wow. And so in our uh, district... And um, some of those, it was good. You know, some of those, it was time for, uh, and the transition is is go, is going to go really well. And some of those, it potentially came out of hurt or just the season just brought out uh, difficult times. And so I guess, let me ask you this question, because I know you know a lot of pastors and leaders and you think about this stuff. Um, how would you encourage, in the craziness that we've sort of put on the table, and there's so much we didn't, and the craziness of managing this and seeking to do right in all this, how would you encourage a pastor to uh, to do the right thing? And, and what would you say to to a leader? And that's just on, just maybe they just have a good heart and they're trying to work through this. What's maybe a, one or two things you'd say to somebody that's in that space? Yeah, I mean, I think number one, obviously, don't give up. Amen. But number two, I think our temptation is because we're playing inside baseball. You know, this is our life. I think our temptation is to take temporary moments and then make mm-hmm. eternal decisions based on those moments. You know, like this will never get better. Or, My church will never rebound or the complaints and critique will never stop. And and I think the reality is, is that we'll look back on this in a decade and we'll go, man, what a terrible and yet odd moment that we all lived through. But thank God we kept our hand to the plow. Amen. And so yeah. my encouragement to people is 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 to, to, to not... To, to not make this season the defining season right. for everything right. that that we will be or will do going forward, and uh, understanding that um, 
Over the last 2,000 years, the church has proved incredible resilience. Mm -hmm. They have survived plague and war and pestilence and persecution and prosecution and scandal, Mm -hmm. and the church of Jesus Christ will advance. It's Mm -hmm. moving. It's a train. Mm -hmm. And the question is, are you uh, a conductor or are you the caboose? Mm -hmm. And sometimes in pastoral ministry, you feel like a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes on, 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 on the same day. So my encouragement to people is to hang on, to not give up, to recentralize their lives and their theology around the beauty of Christ. I mean, for me, one of one of the things that I feel like coming out of this moment, this COVID nineteen moment, I feel like I have a stronger ecclesiology today than I me ever too. have before. Absolutely, I feel like yeah. I more value the church, yep. and I'm more convinced that the primary reason that the church exists is to glorify Jesus. Mm-hmm. And out of that place of glorifying Jesus. Everything else flows. Mm-hmm. Evangelism flows, discipleship flows, mm-hmm. reaching the community flows, service flows. But the primary reason, for me at least, that the church exists is to glorify Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I feel like coming out of this season, I, I, we could have been defeated, could have been distraught, could have been, will things ever return to normal? And maybe they won't, and maybe that's okay. But the church of Jesus Christ will advance, mm-hmm. and the people of God will continue to grow. And the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and Amen. of our King. And to yeah. the increase of His kingdom and His government and His peace, there is no end. And so I've just had to make a decision like you, I think, to attach myself to this idea that the kingdom of God is advancing and that even though this year has brought with it unprecedented challenges, it also is bringing with it unprecedented opportunities. And I'm going to hang on for dear life. And sometimes that's what faithfulness looks like. It looks like hanging on. And I think sometimes we think in charismatic environments, faithfulness looks like buying another campus and adding another service and (laughs) growing 10x. But like sometimes if we're going to be real, faithfulness looks like everybody else let go and I hung on. That's right. And so I'm going to hang on until we catch the next ride and wave of momentum. And I'm just going to try to be faithful to keep my hand on the plow. Yeah. No, that's a good word. It's a good word for pastors. It's a good word for people. Um, and I just, I, I would like to say before we close, guys, look, if you're not a pastor, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to do the exact same thing that Russell just said. It, it really is this. Can I also add to it? Don't judge other churches. Uh, this is not a time for us to throw stones at other churches right. and how great or not great they're handling this season. I, I can tell you this, like... Um, God did not make us the watchdog of what every right. church is or is not doing. And exactly. the, one of the best things that we can do is get our head into where we are and where we need to be and get our head out of where we shouldn't be. And that helps us to exercise that passage where Jesus said, judge not. Part of the reason why we are uh, we are judging so much is because we're occupying too much space. Yeah. And when you occupy too much space and you put your mentality and your mindset and your energy into spaces and places that you don't have authority, you don't have an opinion, you don't have a view, it doesn't mean you can't have one. It just means you shouldn't have one. Right. And we're free people that get to make a choice, but you don't get to make a choice of how impactful you're going to be when you spread yourself too thin, because at the end of the day, we're not going to be that impactful. Right. And so I think what we need to do is not just keep our head down. We need to keep our head up. We need to look up to God, just like what Russell's saying, but also think that we've got to stop judging each other and we've got to move forward in where God has us and what God has us doing. So if you're an online and you're medically vulnerable and you're not able to come into church right now and you feel like that's the best decision for you, um, amen. I'll agree with you in that, And but I want to agree with you to thrive in that, not just to... Um, 
to hide in that, not just to be at home and that's it. Um, I think it's better to be connected. It's better to stay connected. I've told our church, why don't you check in? Check in with your pastors. Check in with the people that you love. Check in with your life group, your discipleship group, or the things that are going on at your church. Um, You know, be be a participant. You know, be serve somehow. There's a way that the body of Christ can serve even at home. And then if you're on site, if you're a person that's coming in, uh, you're in person and you're able to do that, get involved, serve, uh, get connected. Be part of the uh, the praying in the revival. There's a movement that is happening right, right now, and we've right. got to engage and not disengage. And we're seeing it happen. I want to tell you something. In COVID, we've seen people get more and more committed to Jesus Christ. And yeah, we we um, I mean, sometimes I feel like in this season, the best thing for us to do is reach Christians for Christ, so that right. we can build mm-hmm. a solid foundation right. and say we are as solid as we need to be for prodigals to come home, for people that don't believe in Jesus to come and meet a good representation of Jesus, because that's what we need to be right now. Right. And so I've told um, those that come to our prayer meeting, I've said one of the things that we say is prodigals are going to come home, but prodigals need to come home to a more cleansed and purified church. Yes. And so for us at the prayer meeting, we're saying, God, cleanse us, purify us, make us holy, so that when people come home, they're not coming home to the judgmental older brother. You know, they're coming into people that look more like the Father. And that's really our heart. And so I would tell you, like, wherever you're at as a Christian, to engage yourself, no matter what that looks like. And don't disengage just because you're at home. And I encourage you, please don't do that because it's gonna it's gonna harm it's gonna harm where we are. We can be more engaged. And I love it when I get an email from somebody that's online, medically vulnerable, or just f- feels like they're in that uh, age bracket where they can't come in and they're saying, "Pastor Ben, there's got to be more for us." And I'm like, "Amen." Challenge us to provide more for those that are at home. I appreciate that. That's us working together, and that's what we need to do during this season. But let's not judge other churches. Let's not judge other people that are Christians that are trying to work this out. This is a fluid issue, but one thing is true. We stay true to our commitment and our convictions based on Scripture, and that hasn't changed for me or you, and I don't think that should change for any of us. Let's stop letting the culture disciple us. We're going to be in the world and not of it, and we're going to find our way forward because the kingdom of God is advancing in these times. And probably, in my opinion, in certain is certainly stronger uh, now than maybe even it was. I think what it's done is just expose that some of the stuff that can't exist during this time, it can't stay, it can't remain, it must be purified so that we become all that we are and yeah. all that we're supposed to. So anyways, Pastor Russell, thank you for joining hey, me. appreciate it. Love yeah, you, man. You. One of my great friends. Um, again, you can find him online, Russell Johnson, The Pursuit Northwest. Thank you for tuning in to Conversations with Ben Dixon, and we will see you next Monday. God bless you. Hey.